Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes in the Mize. My name is John, and that's Ian. I'm here. Yay. Yay. Hopefully, hopefully you don't go out into the field again for, you know, several months. Um, yes? <laughs> no, like, okay, so it was some pretty crazy army training. I was, you know, it's army training. It was like camping, but no, it wasn't like camping at all. It was kind of miserable, but not terrible. But yeah, I'll be around for a couple more weeks. Um, I think like three weeks from now. I'm going on some vacation time, so that'll be nice. But then I'll be back around for another couple weeks. Um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, everyone deserves a vacation. That's that's the moral oh, of the story. Boy, considering my September is going to suck, but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is episode sixty-two. The hour is nay. I I know, like I oh man, you're killing me, John. <laughs> killing me, bro. No, like <laughs> he said, check out the title. I'm like, I hate you. Hate you so much. But uh, we here at Eyes of the Mize apologize for any groaning or uh, pulled muscles as a result of that pun. Um, if you'd like to, re- if you'd like to file a formal complaint, uh, please send us an email at eyesinthemize at gmail where it will be forwarded to the proper authorities. Meaning the trash bin, <laughs> probably, <laughs> or just left there. Yep. So this is this is June twenty eighth. Uh, our devastation pre release is next weekend, and that means the pre pre release is this weekend. It's this Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy they moved it back to Saturday. It, it kind of stunk that they did it on Friday um, for the last one. I understand the reasons why, but this, you know, should, you should be around to, uh, more people should be around. Plus, it's a holiday weekend, so, well, in America. Absolutely. Yeah, in America. We know, we know we got those international listeners out there. Yep. But, um, uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, got, I will be, I'll be in the chat. Yeah, yeah you're in the chat. Uh, Marshall's coming back. Uh, Matt Tabak's coming up. From Wizards, from Wizards to participate, as well as Ashlyn Rose and the Twitch streamer uh, Red Baron MTG. I won't lie, never caught any Red Baron stuff. However, if they're getting an invite to pre pre release, they got to be good. Yeah, I mean, I think that a, a good thing that this pre pre release can do is expose people to you know streamers or you know personalities that they may not have had an opportunity to to see and see their work and whatnot i think most people who are on like magic twitter or on the reddit or go to gps are familiar with ashlyn rose she's a cosplayer she works a lot with the professor uh matt tabak you know former rules manager he's now i think i forget his exact exact title but i think he's more on the editing side now instead instead of actually managing the rules um but it's gonna be great i know this is kind of corner case but i'm actually really hoping that they somehow are able to get a uh, episode of Sidewalk Slam, which is which has Graham Adam uh, talking about wrestling. I'm really hoping they can get Matt Tabak in for an episode of that because that would be awesome. That would be a hilarious and amazing episode. I would be all for it, especially after watching uh, the Hour Devastation uh, like preview event at GP Vegas, where Matt Tabak got to do his full like wrestling announcer persona. That was great. Yeah, it'd be pretty good. Yep. If not, either way, should be a good time. See you guys there. It starts at 11 a.m. Pacific. Which would be 2, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. It, we're I'd, plus 7? Plus 7 GMT. Like we're plus 7 GMT on the Pacific Coast. So plan accordingly. Something like that. Yeah. Um, also, Hall of Fame voting is going on right now. So everybody is getting up in a tizzy over who to vote in. Uh, <laughs> the only person who I want to see voted in for sure is Chris Pakula. Yeah, um, the kind of talk so far, I mean, obviously the voting things just kind of came out today, actually. So it's kind of like we're catching the initial rise of the, or the initial swell 
of, hey, who are you voting for kind of thing. Um, names I've seen are Mark Herbertholtz, uh, Josh Utter-Layton, uh, was it Martin Yuza? Yeah, it's Yuza. Yeah, Martin Yuza and um, obviously Chris Pakula. Um, yeah. Of those four, those seem to be the four names I've seen bandied about the most right now. And they're saying, uh, looking at the stat page they released, pretty much after that, there's kind of a drop off for a little while, um, at least in terms of stat wise, that people, you know, the quote unquote acceptable stats. That said, I would be happy with any four of those guys getting in. Um, Herbert Holtz for some old school kind of goodness. Uh, Pakula, obviously, the meddling mage. Um, Raptor, Josh Erlane's amazing, and so is Martin Yuza, who has, I think, actually the best stats of everybody right now in terms of pro points on that yeah. list that's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, notable things. Uh, this is Josh Arlington's first time on the ballot. Um, so if he gets in, he'll be another one of the kind of, you know, first year on the ballot, you get in. Uh, after the season, the milestones for being eligible for the Hall are changing. So uh, Pakula will no longer be eligible after this year. So people really want to see him get in this year so they don't have to, so he doesn't have to try to grind again to try to get to the to the requisite pro point level to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. Because he grinded his way back and then they moved the goalposts again. <laughs> Or yeah, are so moving the goalposts, year, I should say. But we don't know about next year. Uh, the other thing, uh, I tweeted out from the podcast account uh, earlier on a Wednesday, probably send it out again on Thursday, uh, is there was a uh, organized play announcement about tweaks to the Pro Tour team series. Uh, basically, it was kind of mundane stuff like how do tiebreakers work and that the logos for next season uh, are going to have a little bit tighter scrutiny on them. So the teams are going to have to have kind of more symmetrical um, logos, logos and words on your logos may not be readable on computer screens. Yeah, because if you look at so what they they've released is they released a couple couple pictures from Pro Tour Amonkhet's coverage of how it would show up in the spots it shows up. And for instance, Team Lingering Souls, it's very very tiny writing, and you can't even see the S in Souls on their thing. Yeah. Uh, Musashi can't really understand it. Uh, Eureka. The EU stands out, but the R-E-K-A is like a very light gray. Um, like Genesis is barely readable. Yeah, Genesis is very light. I mean, kind of – it seems like they did a lot of like – it's just kind of a house cleaning kind of things. Like for instance, one thing you could look at is the Channel Fireball thing. Everybody knows it's Channel Fireball logo, but the logo they submitted also has Channel Fireball in the name. If they had just the screaming skull coming out of the screen – that could work as a team logo. Blue for f- ice, red for fire. Yeah. Um, so basically they just want to simplify those logos just a little bit so that they're more easily kind of, I know what that logo is. Yeah, and also like for team face-to-face games. It has face-to-face games as the logo or the text in the logo. If they get rid of it, they can just make the shield and sword bigger and it'd be yeah. clear. And it's like, oh, okay, face-to-face games. You associate like, you see, for instance... The, the flaming thumbtack of your lovely Tennessee Titans. <laughs> yes, I'm aware. <laughs> you, see, you see the flaming thumbtack, and you're like, if you know anything about football, it's like, okay, cool, that's that. Or you see the Patriot head, the Patriots, Eagle, in, for the Eagles. Like, there's, like, recognizable logos that over time you get used to it. Having, like, words in the logo doesn't really compute well, but I guess it's kind of, like, esports-ish. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, and then they did say in the thing that, like, you can have, like, a logo that we just put on for our display purposes, and you can have, like, the full logo on your uniform and stuff like that. So yeah, like they really for... just want a a clean logo to put on screen. 
Yeah, like Puzzle Quest. That logo is just... I can't even read it. Yeah, too many too many small words. Uh, people you, who have experience with making uh, Twitch uh, emotes will know that struggle very well. Oh, the struggle is real. <laughs> but anyways, there's a new set coming out, and there's cards to talk about. So why don't we... So many cards. Jump on in. Now, the set is called Hour of Devastation, and we already have seen four of the five uh, story spotlight cards, and they're all Hour of Blank. And uh, all of the hour cards we've seen so far have actually, we've actually seen these names in flavor text. All of them were referenced on, except for maybe the last one, which we don't know is an actual card yet. We're hopeful, though, um, on the card Throne of the God Pharaoh. And it talks about how they go in order of Hour of Revelation, Hour of Glory, Hour of Promise, and Hour of Eternity. Those are the only four hours mentioned. However, so, <laughs> however, the set is called Hour of Devastation, and Ian and I are both kind of on the th- on the thing of. There's the title. They're gonna, you know, <laughs> when you watch the movie and they say the title of the movie, and you go, "Oh, it's gonna be like that." Yeah, it's like and scene. They said it. They said the thing. Insert Peter Griffin. Peter Griffin gif here. Um, <laughs> no, but so yeah, I mean, we don't know what it is yet, but these other ones are kind of interesting. So yeah, let's start off with Hour of Revelation, which is three white, white, white for a rare sorcery. Uh, it costs three less if there are ten or more non-land permanents on the battlefield. And what does it do? It destroys all non-land permanents. So it's planar cleansing, but possibly cheaper. Yeah, and I think that in the decks that want this, like, say, a white control deck, um, you're going to either main deck this or bring it in out of the sideboard against stuff like, say... The Abzan Tokens decks that's been running around re- recently. Um, a uh, PPTQ I went to last week was won by a black-white tokens deck. And Hour of Revelation would be really good in there to wipe away kind of all of the setup piece enchantments. And Hour of Revelation is also great against stuff like, say, Dynefall Tower if it starts getting going again. And all the vehicle shenanigans. So Hour of Revelation is definitely a effect that I think standards needed. And I think that it's going to see a lot of play. Wait, what's the one that... I can't remember. It's from uh, Kaladesh. The one that you get. get. Yeah, that one. Where you, you destroy you destroy all creatures and gain life equal to the number of creatures destroyed? It seems like it'd be a little better. In certain situations, like, I, I could see mainly, like, if you want to do a split between Hour of Revelation and Fumigates, I could see it. Because, you know, Fumigates are great against just creature strategies, and Hour of Revelation can cost six mana, whereas yeah. Fumigate always costs five. So... Yeah, it's it's just one of those like corner cases where it's like, do I really want to play white, 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 or do I want three white, white, gain a lot of life? It's it's yeah. it's kind of I don't know conditional. Like I think our revelation would be, would go great in a blue white control deck or even a black white control deck, um, but you're not going to see it in like a Jeskai or a Grix or well, not obviously not Grixis, but you're not going to see it in like a Jeskai deck or an Esper deck. Also, you got to take in, take into consideration stuff like. Any white base control deck's probably going to be playing something like Cast Out or maybe Stasis Snare. Yeah. This destroys those and they get the creatures back. So, yeah. you know, you really have to do some deck finagling to get this to be probably where you want it to be. Speaking of creatures, Hour of Glory, three and a black for an instant, exile target creature. If that creature was a god, its controller reveals his or her hand and exiles all cards from it with the same name as that creature. So, eh? I mean, okay, so there's been some, like, Jun Gods or whatever it was. Yeah, Jun Gods. Around. 
it, it's not a terrible way to get rid of their uh, those indestructible creatures because obviously it's exile because it's a way to get rid of indestructible. But I don't know. The the corner case of seeing this in limited, this feels like it's going to be one you open up and you're like, yeah, pass that card. This is going to wheel. Well, something I forgot to mention: uh, Hour of Glory and Hour of Revelation, both oh, rares, wait. just regular rares. Actually, scratch that. It's just exile target creature. You can ignore the remainder of the text. It's three, yeah. three in a black instant I- removal. Okay. What yeah, the yeah, hell no, am no, I this card's about? great. In limited, this card's great. Standard is going to be the real question, and I think it's going to see play in standard, especially if we see more of the Judd gods, you know, get played, and we do have three other gods in the set, which are really hard to kill outside of stuff like Hour of Glory. Uh, I actually thought this card was a little better than it was. I thought it was straight deicide, uh, where you also search the player's library, but it's not that. So it's only get the god, and if they have any extra copies in their hand, get them out. That w- that would just be too good. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, four mana. I was like, that's probably what, that's probably what it is. But hour of glory, still really good. Still, you know, it kills creatures, and it's instant uh, now, speed, and it's instant speed, which is very important. Oh, so yeah. Ian, what does hour of promise do? So Hour of Promise is four and a green for a sorcery that reads, search your library for up to two land. That's right, land, not basic land, land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Then, if you control three or more deserts, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens. This card's great. I mean, if we don't, we're going to be talking about them a little bit later, but there's a lot of deserts in this set. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, we have, like, there's, like, a few deserts in Amonkhet. We're like, oh, uh, Egyptian Plains, we got some deserts. Uh, our devastation really ramped up the amount of Deserts Matters cards, and we're going to we're gonna get to those. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say right now, EDH staple. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're playing green, this is going to be an EDH staple forever. Plus, the art is Jonas DeRio, who always has amazing art, and it's going to look amazing in foil. So, if you play uh, green-based is- ramp EDH, grab one of these. This is also the playmat for GP Toronto. Oh, and like I said, land cards, it can grab fetches. It can grab fetches. Uh, it does put them into play tapped, which is not great. Uh, but our promise can go grab things like Valakut uh, and EDH. It can grab Urborg and Cabal Coffers. It can, it can grab, grab a lot of things. It can grab Dark Depths and Depths of Page. Those are under play tapped still, but you know the point being, <laughs> it gets your it gets your combo lands. Now the thing that's gotten a lot of people, you know, it talked about this is um, the Deserts Clause, because you have to have three or more Deserts, so you can't just grab two Deserts and get the tokens. But So you have to have another Desert in play, at the very least, to get the two two-twos out of it, which is fine. Uh, so th- this shows, kind of a spoiler alert for people who haven't been paying attention, it shows the Locust God, who is a blue-red god, destroying the Hecma, which we saw in Amonkhet as a white enchantment, uh, which then creates two black zombies on a green card. Where's the blue filling? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> well, it's in the it's in the locust god, but that's not the point. Uh, this has just caused a lot of like flavor discussions about whether this is like correct. And ultimately, I think it is because the effect is green, and green can make tokens. In this case, they just happen to be you know zombies. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's and the flavor for the black zombies comes in the fact that they actually kind of talk about this with. All of the zombies that were outside the Hecma are black aligned because, you know, they're bad or maligned, I guess. All the zombies that were inside the Hecma, all the, the mummies, I guess you could say, they're all wrapped and they're white. Yep. So it makes sense in that kind of thing. You're breaking down the Hecma, grabbing a bunch of deserts as they're sweeping in all the sands. 
and then if you have enough sand, you get the zombies. Mm-hmm. It is a very, very nice flavor card, which all these story spotlight cards have been. And, you know, like we said, a few of these are very powerful. I don't know if Hour of Promise becomes is standard playable, but it's definitely in consideration for any sort of ramp deck. Um, one thing I also want to mention is you can go grab two Shrine of the Forsaken Gods, um, and that makes them both active, and you can cast your Ulamog the next turn. Dude, Gaius Cradle. Okay, you can also Gaius Cradle. Sure, <laughs> you Fetch still need Ga- three deserts to get the tokens. At this point, if you're playing EDH, it's like, all right, fetch Guy's Cradle, whatever. Yeah, basically. If you have if you have the budget for it, you know. Guy's Cradle is <laughs> a very pricey card. Uh, moving spicy. on. The last hour that we know of, because Ian and I, again, we're just speculating on the hour devastation card, uh, is Hour of Eternity. It is XX blue, blue, blue for a rare sorcery. The minute I saw this card, the first card that came to my mind was um, uh, Rise from the Pits from Khan's Block because of the, like, XX and then quad black mana. Hmm. First card that came to mind. So Hour of Eternity says, Exile X target creature cards from your graveyard. For each card exiled this way, create a token that's a copy of that card, except it's a 4-4 black zombie. You're making a bunch of Eternals. Which, can I just say, I want to know more about that I'm sure I'm sure that's going to be in the art book, but like the zombies that have been like I guess manipulated with like grafting on all the Lazatep, just it seems really cool and also really creepy. Yeah, um, for people who aren't aware, the Eternals are what the worthy champions have been turning into. Uh, they are sent. They were sent beyond into the Necropolis to become part of uh, Nicobolus's Lazotep coated army. Okay, so we actually don't have it on our list, but we can make a quick side on this one. So, Gate to the Afterlife was in Amaket. It's a three-mana artifact that says, whenever a non-creature token you control dies, you gain one life. Then you may draw a card if you do discard a card. But it also had a thing that spoiled God Pharaoh's Gift, which is a card in Hour of Devastation. But uh, Gate to the Afterlife also says, two-tap sack Gate to the Afterlife. Search your graveyard hand and or library for a card named God Pharaoh's Gift and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. Activate this ability only if there are six or more creature cards in your graveyard. So what does God Pharaoh's Gift do? Well, it's a seven mana artifact. <laughs> At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that is a copy of that card, except it is a 4-4 black zombie. It gains haste until end of turn. Note that there is no clause saying it goes away at the end of turn. You get yeah. that 4-4 four, four zombie. Yeah. So you basically play a 3-mana artifact, then you t- next turn you tap it. Or if you have 6 card, creature cards in your graveyard, then you can tap it for 2, go get a 7-mana artifact, put it on the battlefield, and then for free you just get a bunch of hasty 4-4s. Four yeah, eternalize all of your spicy creatures that may be in your graveyard. Tis gross. Tis very gross. And also, I'm expecting Hour of Devastation to be red. Yeah, well, it's, no the only one that, it's, it's the only one we haven't seen yet. Just an expectation. Uh, next is the cycle of cards, uh, which I like to refer to them as the Exert Yourself cards, um, which are a cycle of rare sorceries uh, flavored after each of the gods, where you're exerting yourself, so your lands do not untap. Um we have Oketra's Last Mercy, Kefnet's Last Word, Bantu's Last Reckoning, Hazaret's Undying Fury, and Ronus's Last Stand. Uh, we'll get to why Hazaret's Undying Fury is not a last card like the rest of them. 
But real quick, Ian, what do these cards do? So, all right. So the first one we're going to talk about, Oketra's Last Mercy. It's one white, white sorcery that says your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Lands you control, don't untap during your next untap step. This card is ridiculous. <laughs> vomit, 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 vomit. It's just like, and reset. What's up? EDH, oh, what's that? I'm back to full life. I mean, uh, granted, moderate. it does not It does not reset, Um, what's it called? Poison counters. No, it doesn't reset poison counters and doesn't reset commander damage. No, it doesn't do that. Uh, but a Catcher's Last Mercy is a three mana, uh, you know, counter your burn deck. Or, you know, oh, I'm at two. Uh, I'm going to cast a Catcher's Last Mercy and gain 18 life. Like, the burn players see this card and just hate life. Uh, this last weekend, I was playing uh, two ticks red at a PPTQ, and uh, I actually had a match on stream. Uh, I'll include a link in the in the doobly doo to the one match I had on stream, and I had my opponent at two life. And if they had found and cast that card, I would have been dead. The doobly doo. I also lost, but that was beside the point. Yeah, well, you know, it happens. People lose games of magic because yep. apparently there can only be one winner, <laughs> unless you keep tying. Basically. Or end up playing Shaharazad, in which case nobody wins. In which case you, you lose for playing Shaharazad. You don't <laughs> lose the game necessarily, but you lose for playing Shaharazad. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Kefnet's last word is two blue blue for a sorcery. Uh, these are all sorceries. Uh, gain control of target artifact, creature, or enchantment, and your lands don't you control to untap during your next untap step. Again, all these cards have that kind of that, that line of text. So is four mana, you know control magic for an artifact creature or an enchantment with your lands not untapping worth it it's a very powerful effect to say the least i mean it's yeah it's not terrible um like we have something like this kind of already but it only hits artifacts and creatures and confiscation coup if you're playing an energy-based blue deck which for a while this was at confiscation coup was actually seen play in those um team or tower decks because steal your big thing sweet beat your own face with it I mean, I saw Confiscation Coup take an Ulamog at the Pro Tour, so, you know. I mean, yeah. Of course, you know, who knows how many Ulamogs we'll see these days. Now yeah. that uh, Marvel Marvel's, Yep, Marvel. All right. But yeah, I, I don't know. This seems all right. Um, yeah. Not limited bomb, but it's a control it, magic. It's very good and limited. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, yep. The third one is one that has a lot of people... Like, this is the card that made people wonder make you make you really ask is it worth it is bantu's last reckoning worth it one black black sorcery destroy all creatures your lands don't untap is three mana worth it to destroy all creatures if you don't get an untap step if you have a black base control deck and this is your oh crap reset button it's cheap yeah like three mana is very cheap. Like I'm used to casting three mana for stuff like Anger of the Gods or Sweltering Suns. Three mana. It's or three Flaying man, Tendrils. It's three mana Wrath with a, with a downside, but the downside yeah. isn't terrible because you're not going to want to cast this. I mean, you could cast this on turn three, and then like you know, you're prone to untaps, or you cast on turn four. Okay, fine. You don't untap three of your lands, but you could potentially cast a two drop if you have another land in hand. Yeah. Like it's not the worst, but it's like it's something. Reckoning is not a card you want to cast on turn three. Oh no no this is something you're casting while you have like six or seven mana open yeah now the downside of bantu's last reckoning is if you're casting it in a control deck which is kind of the assumption like i cast this i have five mana up i pass the turn 
they're going to cast their spells into my counter spells. Like, that's just going to happen. And I know that I'm only going to have a chance to counter, like, maybe three of their things, or two of their things, if I'm lucky. So And remember, those lands don't untap. <laughs> yeah, and those lands also don't untap. Not just, like, the ones I tap on your turn still don't untap. So it, it's rough. This is the one that has the kind of the highest ceiling between is it playable, is it not? Yeah, so. it's best why I said like it's one of those like oh crap reset buttons. Like if you absolutely need it, I, I think this would be like cyborg. Yeah. Now uh, we're it's gonna hit the better, red one real quick. It's better than sweltering suns. <laughs> it, it, In terms it of does clearing destroy out. more things. Yeah. than sweltering suns. Yes. Uh, we're gonna skip the red one real quick and go to Ronus's last stand, which is a card that I will think sees standard play because it is silly, silly good. It is green, green sorcery. Create a five four snake. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you get a dork down on turn two, or turn one, or... If, if you're in modern or something like that. Yeah. This is, like, ridiculous. Yeah, Ronus's last stand is silly. Like, a 5-4 on turn two? Like, sure, I don't. my lands don't untap next turn. Whatever. I don't care. I'm attacking you for a quarter of your life total on turn three. It's, it's gross. It's Card is silly. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely has a chance seeing standard play. But it's uh, it's... Who doesn't love tokens? I know I don't. So, uh, you know what was one of the first questions I asked when I when I was trying to remember what this card did? What? Is the token legendary? Heck no. Uh, that's only relevant for Populate Commander decks, because populating a 5-4 does seem pretty good. So spicy. So spicy. And then let's get to the... <sighs> Red gets shafted a lot of times in these cycles of cards. And we're going to talk about that with Hazard's Undying Fury, which you'll notice doesn't say last, which implies that Hazard does not die during the course of the, um, the Hour of Devastation storyline. We, have, we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. It's the story we, today, we, as of now, currently, uh, hashtag spoiler alert, um, we've lost Ronus, Kefnet, and Oketra. Yeah. And, I read, this, and I, read, I read a spoiler thread, so I know what happens, but I'm not going to spoil anything. So Hazard's Undying Fury heavily implies that she survives. Ian, what does Hazard's Undying Fury do? So it's four red red, six mana sorcery. Shuffle your library, then exile the top four cards. You may cast any number of non-land cards with converted mana cost five or less from them, from among them without paying their mana cost. Lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. So if you got a lot of beefy dudes that cost under five mana, I mean... I guess it's like a worse collected company. Uh, so one thing that it can do is it can hit four glory bringers and literally win the game on the spot, dude. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> the first co- the first uh, comparison that I saw to this card was Mind's Desire. Yes, which this is basically Mind's Desire. Uh, Go without which self your library, do that thing. A. Why does this cost six mana? I, the effect <laughs> is very powerful. I get that. And, you know, six mana is probably fair for this, and not having a lance on tap is, you know, fair for this. I, I get that. Um, also, note that it says five or less, so you can't cast Undying Fury into Undying Fury, which would have been hilarious, by the way. Um, they tried really hard for this not to be broken. But this yeah. wasn't the red card I wanted. I wanted, like, red, red, like, deal eight to your opponent. I wanted, like, th- four mana. Damage can't be prevented until your next upkeep. And, like, you're creatures can't block or something like, like a that. massive skull crack or something basically that, that's what i wanted this card to do instead it is a super johnny card which is not bad like it being a johnny card is not bad and this card is obviously like 
believe you me, I have started trying to brew with this card and figure out what's good to hit. And it's whether like, or not I can put this in certain decks. It's like a worse Genesis wave. It really is. And it it just feels like this is the worst one of the cycle. And I just and I'm just really sad that the red gets shafted again in a high profile cycle of cards. Womp womp. <laughs> yeah. Such is the nature of these things. Pretty much. Uh, so yeah, that the, the, that's the exert yourself cycle, which they're all you know they're all sweet designs. Um, oh, and we should mention I am, we should mention why you call it the exert yourself because remember, exert on a creature that the creature doesn't untap. So as a planeswalker casting your spells using mana, if you ex- overexert yourself, you can't untap. Yeah, you're just gonna need a little nap. That's all. Just just take a little nap, see. It'll be Shh, fine. Just take this turn off. <laughs> So now we can get to the Gods of Devastation, which is kind of the, the name I've seen these called. Um, they are the Locust God, the Scorpion God, and the Scarab God. Uh, the Scorpion God and Locust God, I think, were both previewed by Wizards people. And then Wedge from the Mana Store got the Scarab God, which was A+. Plus. Um, mm, so spicy. So, so spicy. So what does the Locust God do? Well, it does a lot of things. It's good. <laughs> It's really good at what it does, though. Um, all of these gods don't have indestructible. Instead, they have a clause that says when this card, when this creature dies, return it to your, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step, to kind of give it the same feel as indestructible. Because apparently, uh, you know, too many things with indestructible makes development's life really, really hard. So I basically, so I basically saw like a kind of a player created keyword is dies to hand. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. Totally makes sense to me. Uh, so all of the gods have a triggered ability. Uh, Locust God is the only one with a uh, with a keyword ability in flying, and then they all have an activated ability that usually helps their their triggered ability to go off. All right. So the lo- so the Locust God is four blue red for a four four flying legendary god. All of the gods are mythic. In case you weren't sh- in case you weren't aware, uh, whenever you draw a card, you create a one one blue and red insect creature token with flying and haste. And you can pay two blue-red to draw a card, then discard a card. I mean, and it, and it has the dice to hand. Yes, and it has all the, the dice to hand come back. People have been, the minute this was spoiled, everyone's like, skull clamp. <laughs> yeah, it was in the article it was previewed in, too, because uh, it was, um, Adam Staborski had it. Oh, yeah. I believe. <laughs> Stib, yeah, Stib's like, eh, skull clamp. And go, just... <laughs> go, bros. <laughs> that, that was very, 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 very... Very nasty combo. Um, Locust God seems really good. Uh, yeah. I mean, just spitting out tokens just for playing magic. And this is a card that if you have no mana to you know, actually do things with, you can just start filtering away your lands later in the game. Yep. Um, will it see standard play? I don't know. Possibly as a top end in a blue-red control deck. I would at least expect one or two of these. Yeah. Now we didn't put down Nicobolt's God Pharaoh because I mentioned I did mention him in the last week's episode, um, but I would expect to see maybe Locust God in the Grixis deck as well. All these gods are Grixis colored because they're, they're all Bolus's playthings or whatever it is. Whatever you want to look at it. <laughs> Modifications, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking so, of story, yeah. though, I want to like I I want the story behind these gods like before Bolus. So one thing that was noted was that when Nyssa saw the uh, the carving of the eight gods, none of the gods were insectoid. They were all mammalian or avian or reptile or reptilian. Oh none yeah, of them well, were I mean, insectoid. Well, obviously, if you look at the um, 
the invocations of these they're coming out of their crypts or their yeah. sarcophagi in the sides of the walls and like the first one to come out the scorpion god then the locust god then the scarab god because you can actually see them like it, the scorpion god is the first one out it has a sealed one next to it the locust god has one open next to it and then one closed next to it and then the scarab god has just one open next to it but none on its other side so it's scorpion locust scarab in terms of order of coming out of the wall but obviously they've been brewing for 60 years with disgustingness yeah, yeah. and it is it will be interesting to see like to hear exactly how bowl has corrupted the gods into these machinations but I, i'm sure we'll never know i want to know oh the art book might say some stuff but the art book might say and i i haven't picked up the art book yet but it hasn't come out yet has that, oh. Oh, that's right. It hasn't come out yet. Anyways, uh, the Scarab God is the next one in alphabetical order. Uh, this was given, previewed again by Wedge. This was uh, three blue black for a 5-5. Five, five. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life and you scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. Uh, and for two blue and a black, you can exile target creature card from a graveyard to create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4 four, four black zombie. So that sound you hear is the sound of every blue black zombie commander crying it's really good <laughs> it's so stupidly good it's really good it, oh, so, uh, so it's graveyard hate and a token maker in the same package it's great in any deck that can play it in commander that's blue and black that can even remotely care about zombies and you know people have those zombie decks I mean Gisa and Garof were a thing yeah uh, Sadisi for you know she makes zombies is it and Grim- she's Sultai. Grimgrin? Grimgrin is another blue-black commander that who, who is also a zombie. Like, there's a lot of ways to make Scarab God really disgusting. So, Standard-wise, eh. We saw that zombie decks is um, black-white, so I don't know. Also, those decks are very aggressive, and this card is very slow. This is a dirtle card for sure. I mean, it, but still yeah. hilariously good. Go watch Wedge's video. Wedge's video was great. Um, the last we'll, God- put a, we'll put a link, by the way. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes below. Uh, the last one, the Scorpion God. The first God that we saw is three black red for a 6-5 legendary creature God. Uh, whenever a creature with a minus one, minus one counter on it dies, draw a card. I like that. One black red, put a minus one, minus one counter on another target creature. That's really good too. And then it has dies to hand. Um, yes. It's a 6-5 five for five. <laughs> it is very aggressive. It can draw you cards. Uh, and it fits the flavor of what the of what the god does perfectly. Like all the god or scarab god and scorpion god in particular are very flavorful for what they do, because the scarab god is in charge of the eternals, and the scorpion god kills the other Amonkhet gods. Um, with um, the locust god being the one who kills who destroys the Hecma, even though his card really doesn't do that. But that's beside the point. Um, well, it makes a lot of insects, and the insects yes. eat the Hecma. So there we go. We'll ignore the flavor fail that protection for the Hecma stops all the insects. Anyways. We already talked about this craziness with the green <laughs> card. Uh, but yeah, Scorpion God is um, – it's really flavorful because it can kill indestructible creatures. And it it's really, really aggressive. I don't know if it'll it's good enough to see standard play. But it is definitely one of those cards that you open and limited. You windmill slam it and it'll the ground, high-five all your friends. And I will, hope the person to your right never cuts you off. I will happily – happily take any of these in my pre-release pool <laughs> yes please one and or all of them yes get get right in boys 
And the water is fine. I, I have simple tastes. One <laughs> of each god, Nicol Bolas, and, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I have but simple Grixis tastes. <laughs> but that those are the gods of devastation. They all look really sweet. They're all very powerful cards. And speaking of Nicol Bolas, while we're not going to talk about him, we are going to talk about the vertical cycle of torments. Because apparently they had a mechanic called torment where your opponent had to make a choice of either lose three life or discard a non- or sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. But it turned out that that wasn't really fun. So instead, they have a vertical cycle of these torments. A, a vertical cycle meaning they have one at common, one at uncommon, and one at rare. So starting from the bottom, then we'll go to the top. Ian, what does Torment of Venom do? So Torment of Venom is a two black-black instant that at common, so this is the common one, put three minus one minus one counters on target creature. Its controller loses three life unless he or she sacrifices another non-land permanent or discards a card. I guess we can just call it Torment. <laughs> yeah. We'll just throw a Torment on there. Yeah. So Torment of Venom, uh, notably, they can't stack the creature you target, so that creature has to get the counters put on it. Yes, yeah, so you put the counters on the creature, and then they sacrifice one. So hopefully you have a target that's an X3 that you can just pick off, and then they have to sacrifice something else that's a little more spicy. Yeah, and hope they don't have, like, a bunch of weenie tokens. But I mean, I, I won't lie. I would put, I would absolutely target a token with the three minus one minus one counters if it meant they sacrificed something like a god. Something meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Torment of Venom is very, very powerful. Uh, I don't Plus, know if it's first pick worthy. Um, it BB pair- is kind of hard. But it pairs well with a lot of the minus one minus one counter strategies you see in Torment of Venom. Yes. Uh, note in our devastation, they do a lot more putting minus one minus one counters on your opponent's creatures, not just your own. Yeah. So, Even it'll so. Be, it'll be interesting. Um, then there is the Torment of Scarabs. This is the uncommon three and a black for a aura curse. You enchant a player, and at the beginning of their upkeep, they torment. They lose three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. I hear you like the Abyss as a curse. <laughs> this is basically the Abyss, which destroys a creature at the beginning of each player's upkeep that that player controls. And Torment of Scarabs does that really well. Um, in the article that previewed all three of these, Melissa Tora, who is starting her stint as the article of, um, what's the name of the article series? Latest Developments. There we go. Uh, talked about these and how this is a card that's really good as like a control finisher and limited. So, I mean, it's kind of like a cheaper modified cruel reality, which was remember that mythic story spotlight one that there was seven mana that yeah, sack a creature or a planeswalker. This one just like non-land permanent. Or Don't discard. remind me of cruel reality. Cruel reality killed killed me before, and it was not fun. Ooh. But no, this it, one is like easier to play, and it absolutely punishes your opponent every turn now in general giving your opponent choices is not okay like you don't want to give your opponent choices like look at all of the tribute cards from uh born of the gods and ask yourself how many of those sell standard play yeah so i look at the deck lists (laughs) i was telling john like kind of this abyss fact is really miserable to play against if you're the person who has to sack a bunch of things um so the the vintage cube is online right now and I was playing a deck with, or playing against a white black deck with my Grixis super friends with twin combo jammed in uh, draft deck, and they had the bitter braids combo of braids cabal minion where you have to, like at the beginning of each ter- uh, player's upkeep they have to sacrifice a permanent, or and they comboed that with bitter blossom. So they would literally stack their triggers of they would get a token, 
then they would have the braids trigger, sacrifice a token, and all they'd do is just lose a life. Meanwhile, I was forced to sack my lands and creatures, and just, it was miserable. But you see, Ian, salt is it bitter? That's salty. Salt, bitter. Anyways, moving on. Uh, <laughs> the rare of this cycle is the is the card that is obviously the most exciting. It is the rare. It is Torment of Hailfire. XBB for a rare sorcery, which, okay, this rules text got a lot of people in a tizzy because a lot of people don't know what it means. Repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless that player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards a card. So basically they torment X times. Can't pair. I'm I'm just gonna say this now, and I swear to God, this is the most I've ever mentioned this in a preview like card thing. EDH. <laughs> oh yeah, this card is absurd because in mono black it's very trivial to make a bunch of mana. Can See I, the aforementioned combo of Cabal Coffers and Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth. Can I can I tell you another thing too? Please. Two-headed giant. Oh yeah, this card's absurd. Two-headed giant. <laughs> Each opponent. Oh, <laughs> Each oh, opponent, John. Oh. I'm gonna get so many judge calls about this. Oh. <laughs> you're you're welcome, my friend. Uh, I want to see. I'm playing a two-headed giant with Lindsay. Um, uh, on pre-order this weekend. I swear to God, I want this in my pool. Like it's just gonna be stupid. Uh, so by the way, the the complaint with this card. <laughs> was repeat the following process x times implies that you torment once and then do it x more times that's not what the card does you just torment x times yeah it's like repeat the following process now it kind of almost begs the question should there have been a colon instead of a period uh no because colons are specific in magic to oh right to actually yeah would it have been a semicolon (laughs) maybe maybe back maybe a dash Maybe? I don't know. It's really weird. Like, it's like, in normal, like, parlance, you would just absolutely throw a colon in right after that clause. Yeah. Because it's not even really, it's not even a sentence. Repeat the following process X times. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's more, you have to, like, it's a, I forget the language term for it, the conditional clause. But it's just like, I don't know, it's weird and awkward. It's, yeah, it's like the, the conditional ifs. You'd, f- you know what it, I feel like they almost should have put it in quotes. Maybe, yeah. That, Repeat the following that. process X times, comma, quotes each player. I'm sure there's a reason why they didn't do it, and uh, the editors will tell us why. This is why I don't template cards. Yay. Uh, moving on to a card that everybody is more or less excited to see, uh, because we, re- we really needed some graveyard hate, and we have this card, which is pretty good graveyard hate, Crook of Condemnation. Does a really bad impression of Relic of Progenitus, but it doesn't need to be Relic. It is a two-mana artifact at Uncommon. You can pay one and tap it to exile target card from a graveyard, or pay one and exile it to exile all cards from all graveyards. So you're mentioning giving a player choice. So Relic of Progenitus is the the card that this is absolutely held up against, um, which is the one-mana artifact that says tap target player exiles a card from his or her graveyard, and then one to exile the Relic, exile a card from all graveyard. And it draws a card, so it replaces itself. This one doesn't. Um, however, paying one to tap it, you can pick your card. So with Relic, you could just be like, okay, Alexander cards. Like, all right, I'm going to get rid of this land. Whoopty freaking do. And be like, no, 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 I want that card gone. Don't give yeah. your opponent choice. Yeah. That said, Crook is not replacing Relic in Modern. One mana is much easier to do than two mana. But and my- having to leave mana up for Crook is much easier to do. 
yeah, my god, though, this card has been needed so much with the amount of delirium and other kinds of things in this sta- in this format or yes. standard environment. Yeah. Speaking of, we've hit our part of the show that I called just deserts. Because I won't. I won't lie. I was like, when did this become an unset? Where's the des- Where's the card called just deserts? And I was like, oh. Uh, it's a great title, and you know it. Uh, basically, we have a bunch of rare deserts. We have a cycle of uncommon deserts and a cycle of common deserts. And I want to touch on one of the rare ones first, which is Scavenger Grounds. It's a rare land desert. Uh, you can tap it to add colors to your mana pool, and you can pay two and tap it and sacrifice a desert to exile all cards from all graveyards. Another graveyard hate, but this time it is disguised as a land. Oh, yeah. Um, remember, it can sack it. it just because you tap it, it can sack itself. Yes. That, um, it, th- that is allowed. To which I say, as somebody who played Torrential Gear Hulk, I'm actually kind of sad about all these exile all cards things because it's like, man, I put that card on layaway. <laughs> you do have disallow still in the format, and you also have a card we'll talk about a little bit later which can stop it. But the point being, you know, Graveyard Hate's needed. It's been necessary for a while. Sure, the heavy graveyard decks haven't been seen in a while. Like, we don't have Emrakul anymore. Uh, the Delirium. Delirium decks are still kind of around, um, but they're going to be in their last heyday since they're rotating out in a bit. Traverse the so. Udenwald is still a great card. So is Ishkana. So, so is Grimflare. I can also name Delirium cards if I wanted to. <laughs> um, so we have, I think, it's, it's a bunch of deserts, basically. Uh, yeah. The common deserts, uh, they're all Desert of the X. Uh, which are all the gods, the original gods of Amonkhet. Uh, they are colored according to the god, they interplay tapped, and they cycle. It's the monuments, by the way. Yeah, the monuments. It's all the, the like, so all the Amonkhet monuments, but they're now lands, and they're kind of demolished. Yeah. Uh, then there is an uncommon cycle of deserts, one for each color. They, and they tap for colorless. You can pay a life to add one mana of their color. And then they also have an ability of pay some mana, tap and sack a desert to do a thing. Uh, the only one I care about is Ramanap Ruins, because it's the red one, and you can sack deserts to shock each opponent, which is something that Mono Red kind of wants. At least an aggressive one, if you start floating out, you can just be like... Yep. It's I mean, a heck, reason to play deserts. If you have Desert of the Fervent in your deck, it enters the battlefield tapped, but you can still play it tapped and sack it for two yes, damage. You can also do that. Uh, then there's a few other rare deserts. There's Endless Sands, which is kind of like a hell vault. Um, then there is Hostile Desert, which is a creature land that is a desert at the cost of two mana and exile a land from your graveyard. So that one requires a little bit of setup cost. But it turns into a 3-4. I mean, yeah. It's fun to turn. They're all something. But yeah, like you have to actually get your lands into your graveyard first. So you have to sack some deserts to put them there and then you make it a bigger guy. I don't know. Yeah, the deserts are all sweet, and there's a bunch of Deserts Matters cards like Deserts Hold, which is one of the first cards that was previewed with kind of the, this Deserts Matter mechanic, which is a card we've seen before. It's actually just a rest. Three, two and a white, aura, enchant creature. It can't attack or block, and it can't activate its abilities with the added text that if you control a desert or there's a desert in your graveyard, you gain three life. So, like, it's a, a great lockdown ability on for a creature, but has upside, which is great. Upside's always good. Like, this is something, it's uncommon, you're not going to see it as much as Arrest was, which was, like, a bonkers common. It was actually an uncommon in Return to Ravnica. Look, man, I'm looking at, like, 
I know Modern Masters. It was a common Mirrodin. It was a common Scars of Mirrodin. It was a common. Stupid pens. Clink clink. Anyway, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good card. I would def. It's like arguably first pickable. Yeah, it's easily first pickable unless the rare is a Stone Cold Bomb. I mean, it's not going to see standard play necessarily, but unless there's some. All right, you know. Saito is going to make a Saito Wayfinder deck about deserts, and this is going to be in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of the thing of deserts in your graveyard, uh, we have a creature that I thought would have been printed like five years ago in Ramunop Excavator. Uh, two and a green for a 2-3 Naga Cleric at rare. Uh, you may play land cards from your graveyard. It's Crucible of Worlds. With legs. It's a, it's a snake, so no legs. We're not going to copy the loading ready run joke. They already made it. I don't care. <laughs> it don't excavator. It's on a stick. Fine. Stick it with has, legs, whatever. Yeah. Whatever your whatever your parlance of choice is. Uh, Crystal of Worlds on a creature. I thought we'd have seen it a while ago now. Obviously, the effect is green. And but it's in a set. It's in a set where you sack lands, which is great. Yeah. It's great. It has synergy. Uh, this is going in every cube ever, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Hey, I hear you like to play your fetch lands infinitely. I hear you like strip mine. I, I do like strip mine. <laughs> do you I, like it every turn? <laughs> I, I like it to strip mine. Yeah, so Ramadan up Excavator. Uh, people are very excited for it. I think this is the launch party promo as well. It is the, one of the, draft, we- it's the draft weekend promo. Yeah, yeah. So effectively, because draft weekend is the opening weekend. So yeah, this is... A very, very, very spicy card that I am very, very, very happy to see. Um, will it's, it's probably going to see playing standard. Like, its effect is very powerful. And, you know, someone's going to break it. It's going to be hard. But someone will. Yeah, we'll see. So, Ian, there was another reason why the Gatewatch came to Amonkhet. And Liliana neglected to remind them about this. Uh, so, pray tell, who and what does Razaketh the Foul-Blooded do? So this is an expensive card. Basically, it says reanimator target all over it. It's five black, black, black. So eight mana for an eight, eight legendary creature demon with flample. So flying trample that reads pay to life, sacrifice another creature. Search your library for a card and put that card into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Yeah. Uh, This is the card that I would not be surprised gets banned in EDH. Pray tell. Uh, so, Grizzlebrand, in case you didn't know, is banned in EDH, um, <laughs> because paying seven lights to draw seven cards is very powerful. And Razakath, uh, his ability is free. Essentially, yeah, pay two life, sure, whatever, I have 40 of it. Sack another creature, trivial. Um, tutor for any card that I want? That's really good. Um, Grizzlebrand got banned because he's just unfair. Uh, Razaketh, it probably will get banned for the same reason, because it is real easy to abuse this effect. Um, whether as a commander or in the 99, for example, Marin is still a commander who is very popular and is broken oh. with Razaketh. Oh, oh, why? Why, John? Why? They already thought of it. I'm just relaying what everybody already knows. Barf, barf, um, barf, 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 barf. So basically what you don't want to do or don't want to see is somebody discard the hand size on turn one, discard Razaketh. Uh, then go Swamp, reanimate Razaketh, and then play something like Colony Garden to make an 0-1 Sapperling to then sack to tutor up a billion things. Um, point being, this card's really dumb. It's really powerful. Also, there are at least four eights on the card. 
Dum, 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 dum. They fixed the Grizzlebrand problem because Grizzlebrand was a 7-7 for 8 when he should have been a 7-7 for 7. And yeah. he paid 7 life to draw 7 card. Anyways. Um, Razageth, by the way, is the third of Liliana's demons to be killed by Liliana, leaving one remaining. His name is Belzanok. And we don't know where he is. Yet. Yet. Uh, next card is a card that is going to see a lot of play in standard, I believe. It is also the game day participation promo, which is a braid. Ian, what does a braid do? A braid, with its sick full art, is one in a red instant. Choose one. It's a modal card. A braid deals three damage to target creature. Or destroy target artifact. Remember in Amaket when I was confused when the cheap artifact destruction was going to be printed? Yeah, here it is. This is it. Here you go. It kills Smuggler's Copter in two ways. Oh, wait. It kills Marvel. I got there. Yeah. Granted, Marvel's problem was it came into play untapped, and that's what Manglehorn was supposed to fix. But the Braid's a welcome card to see. Marvel was just, they should have made it eight energy and five for six mana. I don't know. There are ways that card could not have been nearly as broken. But anyway, a Braid's good. It's especially if vehicles are still a thing. Yeah. It destroys an artifact. It deals with creatures very efficiently. Very good, very good sideboard card. Maybe main deckable in standard. Uh, also, it's easily pack one pick oneable in limited, even though it's destroyed target artifact clause. Might as well be flavor text. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a card that I think will absolutely see play in standard, uh, one that I was very excited about have, after having played mono red last weekend, is Earthshaker Kenra. Uh, one in a red for a 2 1 Jackal Warrior at rare with haste. And when it enters the battlefield, this target creature with power less than or equal to Earthshaker Kenra's power can't block this turn. And this is the first card we have with Eternalize. We mentioned the Eternals being, you know, the undead warrior zombie of zombie army of Nicobolas. But Eternalize here is four red red. So Eternalize works just like Embalm, except instead of being a white zombie, it is a black zombie that's also a 4-4. And you can only Eternalize as a sorcery. So Earthshaker Kenra is a two-mana piker with haste that falters a creature with power two or less, which is great on turn two. And then on turn six, it's a 4-4 that falters a creature with power four or less, which is also it's, great on turn six. Yeah, it's a souped-up embalm. Yeah. Uh, this card's great. This card's fantastic. Yep. I like it. It's good. It 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 can still get blocked by a turn to Gear Hulk, which makes me very sad, but that doesn't matter because Earthshaker Kandra is the bee's knees. Yep. I like aggressive creatures. I like it, the creature. It's good. Yeah. If last weekend taught me anything, it was I like turning creatures sideways. <laughs> I like saying no, which this next card does a lot of. It's Nimble, it's nimble Obstructionist. It is 2 and a blue, 3-1 for a bird wizard. Yeah. Have it's you read got, it? It's a bird wizard. It's got it's got flash. It's got flying. And it's got cycling for 2 and a blue. So for its mana cost. So for 3 mana, you get either a flash flyer, 3-1, or you cycle it. And it says when you cycle Nimble Obstructionist counter target activated or triggered ability you don't control it's stifle on a stick with that cycling card yeah that's basically uncounterable it's uh yeah it's pretty freaking awesome i would play the split card because you know three one flash flyer for three mana it's pretty good uh paying three mana to draw a card and stifle an ability it's also really good this card is very powerful this can end games very quickly and you, when you need it to, you can stop something that's pretty uh, pretty nasty, like, say, a Planeswalker Ultimate 
or someone activating any Thirks Marvel or someone crewing a vehicle or whatever. As someone who has disallowed multiple Planeswalker uh, ultimates in standard currently with disallow, it feels so good. Uh, also, uh, one of the big things about this card is the addition of the words you don't control so that people don't get sad on Magic Online. Oh, yeah, because if it didn't say that, like it could potentially counter itself. Which would be sad. Which is, creates a weird loop. Like, not only did you not counter the thing you wanted to counter, but you didn't. You don't draw the card. It saves That'd clicks. Be, it, it saves a lot of clicks. It would be really sad. Uh, next card is the card that the entire show is named for, so we have to talk about it. <laughs> Previewed today by Mark Rosewater, the another white one of the white mythics, Crested Sunmare, three white white for a five five mythic horse. You heard that right. It's uh, not legendary. Horse, it's not legendary. Not legendary. It is not legendary. That will become, become important in a minute. Other horses you control have indestructible. And at the beginning of each end step, if you gained life this turn, create a 5-5 white horse creature token. This card is ridiculous and fun. <laughs> uh, one, of my, one of my friends was like, but there's no other horse tribal synergies in like any, anything in standard, so why would they print this card? And I'm like, because it's fun. I mean, people <laughs> are saying, like, just play the cat and horse deck in standard, which is... Yep, basically, you have some lifelinker cats, and you have Crested Sunmare, and yeah. Just, just uh, I tweeted a out a combo of Crested Sunmare and Anointer Priest. Uh, people were quick to note that that does not make infinite horses every turn, and that made me sad. And then someone tweeted at me, but uh, followed footsteps plus Soul Warden plus Crested Sunmare does, and that made me very happy. Yes, there's ways to abuse this card. This card is ridiculous. It's fun. Um, I know Soul Sisters doesn't like necessarily playing a lot yeah. of expensive creatures, but like maybe as a one or two of a maybe fun of really worth it, a fun of as it were, exactly. Cause, cause you gain the life with the creature coming into play and then, you know, you, you gain you life his, and yeah. then you get a token, which also creates life triggers and it's fun. Well, times. you won't get, you won't get the horse at the end. You won't get horses from the life you gain at the end step, but you'll gain life. You'll get horses you, for other ones. It still gains your life, which helps Sarah send it out. That is true. Uh, also, Crested Sunmare uh, goes into every Aloro deck ever in Commander. Also, yes, two Crested Sunmares does mean both of them are indestructible. Oh, dude, why'd you mention Aloro? <laughs> we th- all right. There's been a lot of stuff for EDH in this set. Holy crap! <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking speaking of real quickly, uh, jumping uh, the second to last card on our list, uh, previewed literally like an hour ago by Magic Mike's. Majestic Miriarch, as I am going to announce, pronounce that word, which is a word that I have never seen before. <laughs> um, it is four and a green for a green chimera. It is a star star. What do the stars do? Well, it is a, it has, its power and toughness are each equal to twice the number of creatures you control. So by itself, it's a 2-2. Two, two. One other creature makes it a 4-4 four, four, and so on and so forth. Get into every green EDH deck ever. But wait, there's more. At the beginning of each combat, if you control a creature with flying, Majestic Miriarch gains flying until end of turn. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance, and if you have any other symptoms, please call your doctor. <laughs> it's it's bananas. Uh, everybody remember Odric from Shadows of Innistrad, where he gave the team those abilities? Majestic Miriarch goes, no, 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 bro. Just give them to me. Dis me. Let, let, let me have them. Dis me. So those token decks? Well, 
<laughs> what? Yep. Gross. Granted, the Abzan Tokens deck or the Black White Tokens deck doesn't really want this per se. No, I'm just saying token decks in general. But yeah, like, in general, like thing is, you got to find a thing with a lot of keywords, though. Uh, like, give me make this a 2020. Uh. You know what's funny? All right, so the, the thing you got to do is find the combination of least amount of cards that grants you all of the abilities. Um. Uh, okay. So the, the, don't do it right now. Don't do it right now. <laughs> no, no. I'm just doing like the maximum is how many keywords are on this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So if somebody can find a combination of less than 12 creatures uh, to make Majestic Meteorarch have everything, please well, let Chroma- us know. And uh, Chromanticore helps. Yeah, Chromanticore is like the, the one freebie I'll give you. So figure it out, people. You have now, homework. The, <laughs> the one keyword that we haven't talked about yet, which we're going to talk about with this one specific card, uh, is Afflict. And Afflict is Afflict in a number. So basically Afflict is whenever this creature becomes blocked, defending player loses three life. As if Exert didn't punish blockers enough. Uh, which, by the way, there are cards in our Devastation which Exert as a cost, which is cool. Um, but we just we just we just won't have time to talk about them. Otherwise, we could we could literally do this for like hours. So we're going to limit our conversation to Amit Eternal, um, which is two and a black for a five-five zombie crocodile demon at rare with Afflict three. So either you get hit for five, or you block it and take three damage. Okay. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, you put a minus one minus one counter on Amit Eternal. And whenever Amit Eternal deals combat damage to a player, remove all counters from it. So there's this weird gameplay going on here where I cast my spells to make your Amit smaller, but then when it's smaller, I don't want to block it to take three damage, but if I let it through, all the counters go away. It's a real punishing card. So it deals combat damage, hits for... Okay, so say you get like a minus one minus one counter, so it's a 4-4. Four, four. It hits for 4 damage, and then you remove the counters. Yes. So it only does 4 damage. It won't just be like, okay, hit. Remember, kids, don't don't let somebody be like, oh, it's dealing combat damage. I remove all the counters, hit you for 5. No. Yeah, no, it does, it does not do it. It will actually hit you for whatever its power is. So don't be afraid to block this as a 1-1. One, one. That That's that's my that's my thing. Um, also, what's, it's a zombie, the, uh, so this goes into mono black zombies in standard. What's the so. Vizier card again? Would, uh, there was a cycle of Vizier's preview today. Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no, the, no. The Vizier from uh, Amonkhet. Oh, that, the, uh, the Vizier of Remedies. Yeah. Whenever you would put a minus one, minus one counter on it, put that less than one. Uh, <laughs> it's like they cast a spell. <laughs> no counters ever, bro. <laughs> um, uh, of note, I'm an Eternal does die to Grasp of Darkness. Just pointing that out there. Oh, yeah. Um, State-based effects, right? Yeah. Triggered abilities, my man. Um... And those are all the cards that we really wanted to make sure that we got a uh, got off our uh, got off our collective's chest there. Like, uh, there's a couple other ones like the Mythic Sphinx. I think that's pretty freaking sweet for Sphinx Tribal. Um, the real question is what happens when you cast. So Unesh Cry Sphinx Sovereign does a lot of really cool things. Um, figure out how many cards are in your library after you cast Rite of Publication kicks targeting Unesh. Just do that on your own. Um, we also didn't get to talk about the defeat cycle of self hate cards. Um, and again, we didn't really talk about a bunch of like the exert yourself, exert yourself as a cost cards, like Hope Tender or Pride Sovereign or Oasis Ritualist. Um, there's there's a lot of things to talk about, and the, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the Planeswalkers. I mean, I, I mentioned them briefly last week, but you know, there's a but lot of things going on. Oh yeah, and we also have seen all of the um, I guess you'd call them aftermath cards 
in all of the color cycles that are out. Um, some good ones, some not so good ones, some what the heck is this card even doing ones like farm to market. But, yep. uh, <laughs> some that will make people very upset when you cast them with Torrential Gear Hulk. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the set. I am really excited to see spoiler or the preview season wrap up this week and see how the pre-release goes. Yeah, and this is, remember, this is the last of the small sets. No. No, wait. That's, that is false. No. Uh, Rivals of Ixalan is the last small set. Right. No, this is one of the last small sets, but still. Yes. We're almost I'm there. Conf- I'm, uh, I, you know, I've, I've been away, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you have missed it. So what, what are your thoughts on the on the removal of the small sets? Uh, I kind of, we had this chat way back when they went to two blocks i mean we weren't podcasting but i know we talked about it um necessarily it's gonna be interesting i like how they can stay on a plane for one block or three blocks or however many blocks they feel like is necessary now so they're not necessarily restricted okay we have two two blocks to get this whole story jammed in yeah so um for a flavor kind of perspective it definitely feels like it frees them up and if that means they get a uh, a little more design space where they can, you know don't have to jam stuff in and because they were saying like because the the article Rosewater said had basically it wasn't a third set problem it was more of a small last set problem small set problem where you have to differentiate it up enough but at the same time give it the familiarity of the large set but still put some new stuff in there and you don't have the space to do it. Like, you could flip it and do small set, large set, but then that kind of is awkward. But I feel like this is just probably the best thing for them to, you know, like, they tested out the going to two blocks, fine. Okay. Didn't work out how they wanted it to. So, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. So. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those, like, we'll need to actually, like, like, they had to do with the two, two block, uh, two set blocks is we need to give it a little time. See how it works out. See how it shakes out. I would honestly not be surprised if it changed up again if things didn't work out properly. So, yeah, but that's probably at least two years down the line from when we start having all large sets. But C- correct. But this is definitely something that they are they're actively engaged in making sure that the game and the story mesh and is good for everyone. Yeah. That plus is everyone loves. Plus everyone loves triple draft sets. Yeah, surprisingly enough, you like when people want to do drafts, they don't want to draft Fate Reforged and Cons Cons. They want to draft Triple Cons. They don't want to draft our. They don't want to draft Dark Ascension, Innistrad, Innistrad. They want to draft Innistrad. They don't want to draft Ether Revolt, Ether Revolt, Kaladesh. They want to draft Triple Kaladesh. Plus, it makes it harder to you know get multiple boxes. You can just be like, here's yeah. my box of cons. Let's draft. Exactly. So, in any case, that's gonna do it for us here. Uh, Ian, if people want to find you on the social medias, where should they where should they do so? You guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. You guys can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. I know I've been saying, oh, I'm going to try and stream more, but like I've got like a solid month and a half-ish coming up where I'm going to have a lot of work, but I'm going to bust my butt to try and stream more because I want to stream more. I want to at least set myself up going into my month-long break in September and then come back in the fall and do more streaming. Uh, I miss it. It's fun. I know John and I uh, want to do a joint stream that will be on my channel uh, for this Vintage Cube because Vintage Cube is awesome. It ends on the 10th, so, you know. I know. We got like a week. 
<laughs> we have some time, yes. We have some time. But yeah, stick tuned. Follow me on Twitter. Find me on stream. Follow me on Twitch. John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. I'm also in on Twitch at the same handle. Um, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so on Twitter at Eyes and the Mize, or you can shoot us a more personal question at our email at eyesandthemize at gmail.com, as we mentioned at the top of the show, for any pun-related injuries. Um, I, d- I did test something of somewhat of a draft video. We'll see how it works. Um, had to run through some kinks, and uh, they're harder than I thought they would be. Let me just put it that way. Um, in any case, that's going to do it for us. Glad to have you back, Ian. Yeah, it's it's good to be back. It's kind of like weird getting back into the swing of things, but it's not bad at all. Exactly. And for you all, we'll talk to y'all next time. Before you go, small correction. Uh, I previously misattributed who previewed uh, the Locust God uh, on the Daily MTG website. It was actually the one of the designers of the set, Ken Nagel. So apologies to Ken for misattributing who previewed the Locust God. But now seriously, listen to you. See you all next time. Mm-hmm.